It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. If you ever want to get in touch and tell us what you think about the podcast, uh, well, the best thing to do is you to post a review on the Apple Podcast platform, because apparently that helps in some way with the mumbo-jumbo charts. So post a review. Or if you want to get in touch and moan privately, you can email me, matt, at times.radio. Right, coming up on today's episode, are you a thin-skinned, humorless supporter of the SNP or reform? According to some new research we've been taking a look at, they are the most humorless. They take criticism of their political party as a personal insult. We'll find out more from the comedians, Jeff Northcott and Tiff Stevenson, and for Private Eye, Ian Hizel. That's coming up in just a moment. We'll also find out about the politics of Dino. But first, it's time for this. The Columnists with Night at the Marriott, India Knight and James Marriott on Times Radio. And he's in the studio. We'll say good, very good morning to James Marriott. Morning, James. Good morning to you. And beaming in live uh, by the power of technology, it's India Knight. Morning, India. Morning, Matt. Morning, James. Good to have you with us. So, uh, we need to start with Dominic Raab. And this interesting question, I suppose, where bullying or inappropriate behaviour in the workplace is in the eye of the beholder. Worth probably just looking sort of directly at what Dominic Raab has actually said in his letter. I mean, because it's all we have to go on uh, thus far. He confirms uh, that he has been found to have... Uh, um, Bullied twice, he says that all, all the other complaints were were thrown out, but two of them have been upheld. But he goes on to say, ministers must be able to give direct critical feedback on briefings and submissions to senior officers, officials in order to set the standards and drive the for- reform the public expect of us. Of course, this must be done within reasonable bounds. He goes on to say that Adam Tolley, who carried out the, the review, concluded I'd not once in four and a half years sworn or shouted at anyone, let alone thrown anything, or otherwise f- physically intimidated anyone, nor intentionally sought to belittle anyone. I'm genuinely sorry for any unintended stress or offence that any officials felt as a result of the pace standards and challenge that I brought to the Ministry of Justice. It goes on to say, in setting the threshold for bullying so low, this inquiry set a dangerous precedent. It would encourage spurious claims against ministers and have a chilling effect on those driving change on behalf of your government and ultimately the British people. Should we be worried about this setting a dangerous precedent, India? 
you know, I'm I've sort of slightly surprised myself by feeling some sympathy with Dominic Raab um, because I think that being an abrasive person, being somebody who, you know, you're allowed to not be a charming person. You're allowed to be quite difficult. You're allowed to take your job very seriously and to that sometimes leading to you being difficult to work for. Um, I mean, you only have to look at him to see what sort of person he is. You know, he's one of those men whose neck is as wide as his head and he's got a kind of throbby vein. And people who look like that, are norm you know, normally have some kind of particular machismo. The fact that his vein might have throbbed and he might have shouted at somebody. I think one of the accusations, I think, um, one of the allegations, rather, which he's clearly been cleared of because his statement says he's never... Not, he hasn't been found guilty of throwing anything. One of the allegations was that he'd thrown a tomato from Pret-a-Manger, which must have been quite a small tomato. And, and, also, and also not you know, at anyone, just sort of threw it with no, sort of aggressive in a bag in, or a bin or something. Of yeah. Rage, yeah. yeah, lobbed a tomato. To me... And possibly this is because I'm older and I have worked in offices with very, very difficult and frightening people in the past. To me, this is somebody who has really poor people skills, clearly, who's not a particularly agreeable person to be around. But I don't know that it's actually bullying. I mean, obviously, it's been found to be bullying in two instances, so that's fine. But when he says the bar is set quite low, I a little bit agree with him. I mean, we'll see what comes out. We'll, we'll see exactly. when we all read the that, report. That's the thing. The, the part, because the, the, the choreography of this is a bit odd, we get his defence without knowing what the the, the, the the charge is, I suppose. Yeah. But, you know, being a bit scary and that making people feel anxious, I don't think that constitutes bullying. It's not a lovely yeah. work environment. It's not what you'd want. That's It's not what you'd wish on anybody. However, it happens. And I don't know that it's such a terrible sin. James, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that um, to find myself on the other side of an issue uh, to India, I may be slightly less robust and more fragile than she is. But you're you're a, what did somebody call texting earlier? You're oh, a God. wibbly wibbly woke um, civil servant. <laughs> I I am a bit of I probably am a bit wibbly and woke in that respect. But my feeling is, and obviously it's all this you know he said she said business that we can't definitively get to the bottom of until anything more comes out. But my feeling is that being a good manager is not as much to do with being scary as Dominic Raab seems to think it is. And a lot of it is about morale and thinking about the people around you and this kind of idea that driving people hard and being a kind of scary presence in the office automatically equals good, motivated working. I don't think that equation is no, as simple that, as he thinks it is. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So we, we've had so many messages on this covering a full spectrum, it has to be said. One person says, mediocre people out of their depth often resort to bullying, Robin Batala, classics of the type. Mike, no, I think, yeah, I think Mike that's says, that's true. Yeah. isn't it like football managers, if the players won't play for you anymore, then it's over. It appears Rob had lost the dressing room. And I think that's the, that I mm. think is the difference. Because I've worked with uh, in the past, very robust uh, journalism <laughs> tends to attract a certain amount of robustness. And actually, quite good people would stick it out because they knew that it was the thing that was working. And yes. I think maybe that's the difference. That, that it, nobody, nobody, I think, would argue that Dominic Raab is a brilliant minister. Yes, I think that's an extremely good point. And it's, do you have confidence yeah. in the, you know, yeah. this hard driving tone that's being set from the top? And actually, you can be quite hard and drive. You know, you can really, you know, hammer it and say, look, this isn't good enough, this isn't good enough. And then when it is good enough, 
you ladle on the praise, yeah, yeah. you reward, you know, and I think that's may, may, maybe that's the, the, it's the sort of yin and yang of that sort of uh, um, thing. That just just thinking, being horrible to people all the time is the solution. Uh, yeah, probably does backfire. Yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. it. I, well, I don't, you know, we don't know, but it sounds very convincing to me. The other thing that I thought was interesting in his letter was he says, uh, I raised with you a number of improprieties that came to light during the course of this inquiry. This is Dominic Raab's letter to Rishi Sinat. They include the systematic leaking of skewed and fabricated claims to the media in breach of the rules of the inquiry and the Civil Service Code of Conduct and the coercive removal by senior official dedicated private secretaries to my Ministry of Justice private office in October last year. I hope these will be independently reviewed. And that also goes back to the point that you were making, India, that we've had this sort of drip, 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 drip. Um, uh, and most of what we'd heard that he'd done, shouting, swearing, throwing things, it turns out, according to his account of this, have all been disproved. And that actually it has been a slight... Because uh, Minister did bully is a more interesting story than Minister didn't bully. Mm. It's been a slightly one-sided process, all of this, and we are inclined to give credence to juicy, off-the-record source quotes, perhaps. Um, uh, and actually, you know, Dominic Raab wasn't able to put his case. Yeah, I think um, I think his letter also suggests, and he wouldn't be the first minister to, to, to hint at this, that, that civil servants are running him and his department mm. rather than the other way around, and that that's obviously a source of massive friction when the two methods of running things rub up very badly against each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be really interesting to read the report. It will be absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what I've done to upset John in Thrapston. Thank you for coming that t- confirming that Times Radio's Matt Chorley has morphed into BBC Radio Six, home of the addled brain and dubious morals. What on earth that means? I suspected that for a long time. Is he just not a fan of that um, Fleetwood Mac track we were playing earlier? Very odd. Uh, right, let's move on. Talking of talking of uh, adult brain and dubious moles on the radio, uh, James, you've been trying your hand at some radio presenting. Yes, yeah, I have. I've been channeling my inner Matt Chorley. Somebody's messaged in Mike saying, please, uh, can Aina, because Aina Orn is now a celebrity. He's not here today, he doesn't do Fridays. Can you clip up James Marriott oh, on with Jane Garvey? Well, here we are. Here is, here is a, what I, th- I think the young people call a supercut, James. Oh, no, I can't bear to listen. So, so um, uh, Fee, Fee Glover was off this week. She was off ill. You stepped in. This is James. Sorry about the noise. I was adjusting Sorry. bits of studio equipment. Yes. Uh, and I didn't realise how noisy they were. Well, I'm, really I'm going to keep my hands off the desk. Yeah, don't touch on. anything. <laughs> <laughs> have they not told you that? They should, they should have done. Don't touch anything, don't meddle. Mm. So what are you enthusiastic about? Well, I, I'm in a very humiliating phase, and I hate to admit this on live radio, of all I eat at the moment is, is roasted cauliflower every night. Oh. Um, roasted cauliflower and roasted leeks. Really? I'm going to say this. I don't think you're a marathon runner. That is a very cruel thing to say to me <laughs> uh, with my highly athletic appearance. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I am a runner or a sort of beleaguered jogger i go very slowly i always feel like a kind of rhinoceros yeah well when i when i got your phone call i was hunched on my bedroom floor of my laptop frantically battering away at my column (laughs) (laughs) so i should say mike actually messaged in saying could you clip up james marriott telling jane garvey that he was frantically was it bashing away at his column yes bashing away at my column this has been pursuing me all week ever since i said that (laughs) i can't escape it (laughs) um (laughs) I think we might play that every week now, James. I'm sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> that needs to be incorporated into the Night at the Marriott jingle somehow. I think so. I think <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, that has been, um, yeah, uh, every time we log on to Twitter, this is, this is pointed out to me. It was said in all innocence. Uh, I, know. They always I really are. was just bashing away at my column. 
Stop saying it. It's always a good that time that somebody somebody texted in and said they were eating a baguette in the bath, and I suggested that um, you dip it, your end would get wet or something. Um, There's a very carry on tone to Night of the Marriott that's been creeping in lately. I think we need to get serious again. Um, Just um, quick, you've you've written this week about AI again. Have we got that? Have we got the. the, um, Let's have a bit of the Oasis. This this great thing where the um, Oasis. Uh, is this Oasis or not, or is it an AI-generated Oasis? Let's take a listen. You Oasis fan, James? You've never heard of them, probably too young. No, I'm partial to the odd bit of Oasis. So do you think this is real Oasis? Um, I think it's not, because I saw the news story this morning yeah. and read up on it assiduously before but coming I on the show. I think if I heard that in the car, I'd think... Yeah, that's like a yeah, like a, like a mediocre sort of B side. They didn't bother releasing. I mean, the thing the thing that's interesting about this is that it's not just someone's told a machine to go and write an Oasis mm. song. I think the AI has taken um, Liam Gallagher's voice mm. and it's been fitted over a tune that was already written by human beings, and they yes, told it's it what Oasis to say. Band Breezer. So yeah, it's not totally like an AI has just knocked out an Oasis track for the fun yeah. of it. It's a little more reassuringly complicated than that, I think. And that's that you can still tell, can't you, India? Just about. I'm obsessed with this. I'm obsessed with the incredible creepiness of it and the fact that we're all going to be, we're all going to die. Um, there was um, there was a story earlier in the week, um, an interview with CBS on American TV, 60 Minutes, where um, a Google tech person um, talking about the AI that Google are developing mentioned in passing that it had taught itself um a, a new language. Nobody had asked it to. It had just decided <laughs> to learn it. And none of them could really explain why it had happened or how. But anyway, oh, there God. it was. And when the interview went, what do you mean you can't explain? They said very breezily, oh, well, you know, we, I think they I think they call it black box. Anyway, there were all these oddities and nobody <laughs> can quite explain them. But and then he We're said, not quite sure why the know. robots rose up against us. But <laughs> oh, <well>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and at the end he said, never mind, you know, nobody can explain the human brain either, so it's all fine. I mean, it just gives me the absolute heebie-jeebies. It is Given that now it's a cliche, particularly the media, to do add politics, you know, get get chat GPT to write a speech or write an mm. intro or a song or whatever. Maybe mm. maybe we should soon actually go the whole hog and replace Dominic Raab. With chat GPT. With an with AI. GPT, yeah, with AI. Yeah. Indian Eye and James Marrick there. And of course, you can read the stories we were discussing. Just hit the links in the podcast description and subscribe to The Times by going to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Now, here's an interesting thing. We all know about Mondeo Man. The other day, it was Stevenage Woman. But what about the politics of Dino? It started off life as a slightly disparaging meme. Tom McTague from Unheard thinks that actually he's just a normal bloke or possibly even a normal woman who sums up how most normal people live their normal lives in Britain and they're going to be pretty crucial to the next election. So I caught up with Tom and asked him, who is Dino? Dino is the ordinary man, essentially. He's the kind of guy that we all know. We've got plenty of Dinos in all of our families, our friends, the people we went to school with. He's the kind of Mondeo man of today or the Essex man of Margaret Thatcher's time. He's, he lives in a new built house. He lives in an ordinary town, in an ordinary suburb of an ordinary town. And he's doing all right for himself. That's the key. He's not somebody to be pitied or to be looked down upon. He's doing great. He's got a gym membership. He's got a nice car on the front drive. He has a nice holiday to Spain every year. And he's got a nice life. And the crucial thing politically is he's been somewhat screwed over in the past two years or so by rising interest rates, rising taxes, and runaway inflation. And um, it, it's, it's interesting because I wasn't aware of it as a term, but it's, it has been a sort of, um, it's, been, it's been a pejorative, isn't it? It's a sort of like, oh, Dino, you know, people, you, you've found an example of people using it to describe uh, the house that Nicola Sturgeon lived in, but people sort of sneered at it. And like you point out, it's a very nice four-bedroom detached house with a garage. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the sort of house that most of us aspire to. Hey, that's that's exactly right. I mean, I would like that house if I could afford it. I live in London and I can't afford anything near that big. Um, so I was I was just amazed by this. But yeah, I I, I discovered it um, online. It's an online meme that's been doing mm. the rounds for a while now, and it started off as derogatory. It's a way of sort of sneering at somebody and saying that they don't have much taste. You know, that they've got a really big TV that's mounted on the wall above their fireplace rather than a small one in the corner. You know, they have a bigger TV than they have uh, bookshelves. Um, They have IKEA furniture and a sofa from Sophology. All of these kind of things are used to take them... <laughs> I think I think we're all partially Dino, right? D- Dino's kind of made the right choices in life. He's got a d- he's got a good amount of disposable cash. He's he has a nice holiday. It's all the things that most people want. Uh, but he's he's slightly sneered at by by people who have taken a slightly different path in life, which is the graduate path, moving to a big city and living in a shared flat in <laughs> I don't know Islington somewhere or Hackney. But I, I do wonder who's happier. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the piece that you write, so you've been to Shotton. You went to Shotton in search of Dino and actually you yeah. had to go to Stockton-on-Tees to find him instead. Well, that's right. You know, I, I, I'm from the northeast, and I have a slight frustration with the sort of the idea of the Red Wall as being this place of, you know, cloth caps and whippets and everybody living in terraced houses, um, you know, on the breadline. 
and all a bit racist and that's why they voted brexit and for um for boris and you know that doesn't describe the the, the northeast that i grew up in which was you know nice and <laughs> middle class um and i, I thought shotton which is this um old mining town which which appeared in a in a in an old book by jb Priestley mm. uh in in, in the 1930s that would have changed and it would be uh, it would be full of dinos actually what i did find it was it was really really poor and 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 pretty depressing and not not rich enough for dino and that's um, what the, i thought that was really interesting and actually the point so the, the really poor places actually do end up still being ignored politically. You know, the battle, you know, it's Dino land where the Tories yeah. did well at the last election. Actually, Labour are coming back. That, that's exactly right. They're, they're, they're new builder states and, you know, the people might be teachers or nurses or, uh, you know, in the bigger houses, doctors or small businessmen or whatever, people who are doing all right and they've got themselves a mortgage. Now, they voted for the Tories recently, um, but they're getting squeezed, hugely so. And and Labour seem all right. They seem to be doing all right with them. But I think there is a key point, and I think you've picked it up in your um in, in your polling and your focus groups and all of that they haven't really made up their mind entirely yet they're not really convinced by either yeah. rishi or with kia they could they could go either way right now though it looks like they're leaning towards labor and particularly dino's wife is leaning more heavily towards labor she uses uh, she interacts more with the school and the hospital and all of the services which are crumbling and so she's she's more left than than dino tom mctaker up next is no laughing matter we take a look at which political supporters don't like people making fun of them it's next on the red box podcast the big thing on times radio Right, can you take a joke? Today we're talking about which party in British politics can take a ribbing in good humour and who storms off in a huff at the first time they're not being treated with the seriousness they think they deserve. There's some research from the British Election Study. Well, they ask each party supporters, uh, when people criticise my party, it feels like a personal insult. And how many of them agreed? It's allowed us to put together a league table of political humourlessness. So we thought we'd work our way up the table uh, and find out uh, <laughs> who, which parties are least likely to find uh, criticism or light, light ribbing, uh, remotely amusing. Uh, two people who poke fun at politics for a living. Uh, we're joined by the comedians Jeff Northcott. Hi, Jeff. Hello, mate. How's it going? I'm very good. I'm very good. For, for the purpose of this, Jeff, you're, you're the right-wing comedian, Jeff Northcott. Oh, so right wing, out there, real extremist. <laughs> yeah, that, that, right, very good. And uh, Tiff Stevenson, for the purpose of this, Tiff, you're a hard left Corbynista. Am I? I'm not hard left, surely. No, no. <laughs> I'm wavy left. I yes. don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, I've just made it up. <laughs> if you if you two were as extreme as we're suggesting, you'd probably meet round the back. Um, so yes, we right. horseshoe. Yes, it's horseshoe round the back. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, before we get into actually this list and all of that. Are people who don't... Uh, do you think that actually the point might be that people who I closely identify with a political party at all are just generally not much fun, Tiff? Um, I think sometimes if it feels... Uh, the political can feel very personal for people. So that's why they um, then take a joke as being a, a personal attack mm. on them. If it's about a politician they particularly believe in or a policy that they back. Um, so I think... I think there's a probably a difference in how the politicians take it because the politicians take it as a criticism of their job. And naturally, whatever 
party is in power tends to get more of the yes. more of the grief and more of the comedy because they're the ones holding the power. You know, I think it was was it Orwell that said the job of comedy is to prick the pomposity of the powerful. You know, so um, so that's why that happens. But I do think I do think people can get very uptight about it and it's why sometimes stuff like question time can be a a no win for comics because if you go on as a person who's like well i'm going to take this very seriously people are like well you're not funny you're supposed to be funny and if you try and be funny on something like that people are like this isn't funny <laughs> well that's that's good <laughs> news to, that, for me you, to Jeff? hear five times going back on it in june so cheers for the pep talk <laughs> they keep asking me to do it and i just can't it doesn't there doesn't seem to be an upside jeff well, there was, there was, um, you know, a producer said to me the first time I did it, he goes, just don't go on and tell jokes. And I, I don't know what he thought I was going to do. He was going to go on and go, oh, now then, now then, now then. How many Lib Dems? <laughs> well, going, many on, going on and doing a Jimmy Savile impression would be even worse, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think through who, who was the originator of the now then, now then. But I, I think the point is, is that this survey is coming from uh, members, right? And, and so, no, it's in voters, a way, it's supporters, it's supporters. So it's, oh, it's, so yeah. it, it, it's voters. Because, yeah. I mean, uh, mem members can be even more sensitive. Well, they're peculiar I mean, people, if you were the member. They're of peculiar, people, right? and I think if you've looked at this political vista and thought, oh, I really need to set up a direct debit to one of these lot, then you're not really paying attention. <laughs> 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 okay, let's so let's go through the league table then. So in this uh, British election study survey, uh, it was done last year, but we've just got hold of the numbers. Top of the top of the humorlessness chart, 33% of reform voters... <laughs> Agreed. When people criticise criticise my party, it feels like a personal insult. Of course, the spiritual figurehead of Nigel Farage, uh, spiritual figurehead pres president, I think, is a reform. Is Nigel Farage? Let's have a listen to when uh, the pub landlord Al Murray ran against him at a by-election in 2015. It seems to me that the UK is ready for a bloke waving a pint around, offering common sense solutions. Cheers. That is why I am here to announce my intention to run for election as Member of Parliament for the constituency of South Thanet. I mean, look, you know, he's having a bit of fun. Uh, he's going to get some publicity for his tour on the back of what he's doing. I doubt he'll get more votes than the Monster Raving Looney Party normally get. Oh, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. <laughs> um, well, go on, Tiff. Um, surprisingly for him, I think he's gone in... He hasn't gone in as heavy as I've heard him go before. But I think Nigel Farage, it's interesting because he's often been the sort of joke mm. candidate in a lot of ways, you know. But his, his in terms of publicity, his spread and reach for, you know, when they had one seat was incredible how much, you know, Nigel Farage appeared on stuff and lighthearted programmes doing jokey things. So I think he's got to be able to be the butt of the joke when that comes up. I really don't like it. I mean, in my experience with writing about Nigel Farage, that um, other, Aaron, was it Aaron Banks? The big fight you write about, they don't like it. They, what's, what's your experience, mm. Jeff? Well, I think it's interesting to find out that reform uh, come out worst in this league because as I understand it, they're supposed to be the party that are pushing back on wokery, yes, snowflakery, are, probably <laughs> archery, anything ended in wokery. And, and they kind of sort of strike me as the people that would say, well, I like a joke as much as the next man, but sadly the next they, man is a, a Green Party voter. So it's <laughs> it's not really supposed to be their stock in trade, isn't it? It's supposed yeah, yeah. to that whole movement is supposed to be sort of trying to draw back the tides of sensitivity. So it's interesting to find out that they're the least uh, open yeah, to yeah. jokes against them. Well, you yeah, that, you would expect a tweet going, "They're jokes." If anyone, you know, in capital letters, yeah, 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 yeah. with a lot of <laughs> I think Union if someone, Jack flags. 
in, yes. the, in the name. Right, you lead us very nicely onto the Greens, actually, um, uh, Jeff, because the Je- uh, Greens are next on 32%, just behind them, the SNP. Uh, so basically, still a third of their supporters say they take it as a personal insult. Mm. Someone criticised them. In fact, we had, a, we had some examples of this yesterday in the House of Commons. Labour's Thangham Debonair and the uh, Conservative uh, Minister Penny Mordant having a laugh at the expense of the SNP, which they really didn't enjoy, and their MP Brendan O'Hara. Can I welcome, I think, the leader of the SNP's comments that he <clears throat> doesn't believe the SNP is operating criminally, reassuring, when it comes to their carry-on campervan saga. I suppose that uh, in many ways we should be grateful because never before had she shown such interest in Scotland, which was indeed painfully obvious. And there's much I would say, but I'll suffice by saying perhaps people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. It's been a very painful week, a uh, few weeks for his uh, party. For some time now, uh, BBC Politics Scotland has resembled an episode of Taggart. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad joke. Um, uh, it's all right. Yeah. Jeff, I it's have... It's been a murder! That's, what, that's all I kept <laughs> thinking, that tent in the front garden. Um, I've had experience of this in the last couple of weeks mm. when I've written about them. I wrote a column where I just... I, actually, it wasn't even about the SNP. It was about something else. I've just put a line about how... Um, they, they were the SNP were overseeing a deep-fried banana republic, and I was accused of being a xenophobe who should hang my head in shame. Um, well, I mean, it all comes down with the SNP and the Greens to their higher sense of purpose. I, in fairness to the Greens, if you think that the world is coming to an imminent end, it must be hard to sort of take the jokes. You know, I, I would say to them that if if you definitely think everything's coming to an end, then you might as well just enjoy the time we have left. You know, it's about. In many ways, it's about making memories now. You know, just just enjoy it. You know, they seem to be quite fatalistic about the whole thing. And when it comes to the SNP, um, they they there's something odd when I go up to the Edinburgh Fringe because I go out to do my hours there, and, and I think a lot of people in the audience sort of think, yeah, we'd quite like to hear some jokes about the SNP. And then the moment I do those jokes, I get the impression they're thinking maybe not from him. <laughs> maybe, not, <laughs> maybe not from the southern tory i, I, I do I, think part of it does hang around the cult of nicola though like i was yes. i did a panel chat up at the edinburgh fringe and it was quite odd like the way that people relate to nicola sturgeon like some sort of scottish buddha it, it, it was odd so i don't know if that may change over time and, and maybe they've got off a bit lightly with the kind of sort of mainstream press over the years because people like the way that nicola communicates mm. Uh, but with the tide as well and truly turned. I have to say, when I was on tour last year, I was very surprised to find that Ian Blackford travels. I, I had to be in Blackford material for when I was in Glasgow and Edinburgh, and it turned, yeah. out, turned out it went down well everywhere. Everyone seems to know he was. Well, what they do, SNP MPs at Westminster, they have this weird thing where they're, all, they're always playing to the audience back home, so they'll use these odd parochial phrases <laughs> and stand up and go, oh, I'll tell the minister we have a phrase back in... Kill Coddy on the papoose, but you know you can, you can take a sheep. It's a language, to, Jeff. You Scots can take a sheep a dist- to market, uh, but if it doesn't, they have any wool. And you think I don't think Scottish voters want to be spoken to like they've got to be willing. I, I upset the Welsh earlier this week. I, we can't also upset yeah. the Scots. Right, let's plow on. We've I just, got, I'm going to go, go and get my concise Scots dictionary and yes. talk about it as a distinct and separate language. Right. However, let's move on. <laughs> right. So now in the league table, 29 percent of Labour voters 
writers agreed uh, that they were personally insulted. I, I suspect it would have been higher in the Corbyn days uh, because Jeremy Corbyn and his supporters, I think, are the most thin-skinned, humorless people I've ever come across. Um, whenever I make a joke about him, I'm accused of having him living rent-free in my head. They, they have a particular interest in the size of my ears whenever I make jokes about uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Here is Jeremy Corbyn really not getting the joke uh, when um, basically the entire House of Commons fell about laughing. Let's take a listen. Last week, like him, I was in Brussels meeting with uh, heads of government and leaders of European socialist parties, one of whom said to me, No, 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 what they said, what they said, Mr. Speaker. Who are you? Uh, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't like oh, it, did Jeremy. he, Tiff? Now, Tiff, uh, I, as the as the uh, the flag bearer, the representative of the left on this, do you agree <laughs> that Corbyn Easters are humourless, thin-skinned snowflakes? Um, I would say that um, I did a podcast where 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 someone came on and had a conversation about uh, Jeremy Corbyn, and people come back and still leave comments on it. I don't know if more sensitive than any other party because, you know, if you, t I would say if you sort of glance upon American politics, you'll get like, you know, Democrats in America or Republicans coming in and, and being very, very, I, f I feel like maybe slightly more partisan in america i, I think i would say in in slight defense of the corbyn sports there are a lot of starmer guys that are very very sensitive and almost the closer um he gets to power they sort of they they take refuge in these phrases like well with the grown-ups in the room with the grown-ups in the room they end up sounding like will from the in-between <laughs> and so so what the, what the argument with starmer seems to be is like well they keep saying well what about the tories but at the same time they're boasting about the fact that this approach that starmer has taken has got him to the brink of power which he yeah, has yeah. so so i would think that you know they're, they're going to have to accept with probably 18 months out from an election there's going to be a hell of a lot more jokes about Keir Starmer. I mean, for one, there's there's that voice. He's got that voice. I don't know. Him and Ed Miliband. People. I don't know if they if they they're share. Well, I can <laughs> say that Ed Miliband has a cracking sense of humour because I mm. did a podcast with him and I said, "Oh, I made a joke about you," and he was like, "Oh yeah, what's that?" And I said, "You got a look on your face that you always look like you've just seen boobs for the first time," <laughs> <laughs> and he absolutely cracked up. So I do think that I I I always thought on the whole, like Labour Party people, you know, they had people working in spin who were who would write jokes for the speeches and stuff, and I. I always sort of tended to mm. think that uh, much of the Labour Party had a good sense of humour, but that might have changed, you yeah, know. Yeah. But also, I'm now thinking more. about the way that Ed Miliband would pronounce boobs in that weird way that he's got. <laughs> sort of fine nasal. Right, we need to finish off this league table. So, right at the other end of the league table, more than a third of reform uh, people get offended. Only 22% of Tory voters and just 15% of Lib Dem voters. The Lib Dem voters quite happy. It seems to be criticised, or maybe they're just happy, Jeff, to be talked about. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, that's the point, isn't it? They've, been, they've had so little coverage that I've thought that they're probably sort of fabricating their own accounting scandals, like the SNP 
or going, or have we got a sexual harasser with a nominative determinism type name like Pincher? Because that's the only way. Lib Dems, I, I did a bit about the Lib Dems on the MASH report twice and I went for them really hard and they were just, they were texting me and my mates and they were tweeting me going, thanks. Just fact, it's just nice to be mentioned, isn't it? Because it shows it shows that you're at, you're at the party, and you know, and with Tories, of course they're gonna they're gonna take the jokes because they've been writing all the best setups for the last eighteen months. <laughs> What's your, your your best Lib Dem joke, Tiff? Oh, do I even have a Lib Dem joke? I don't think I do. Oh, in fact, we've got one. We've got one. David Cameron had one. David Cameron had one. Let's take a listen, Prime Minister, Deputy Prime Minister. Secondly. Prime Minister, do you now regret when once asked what your favourite joke was, you replied Nick Clegg? And Deputy Prime Minister, what do you think of that? <laughs> I, we're all going to have. I, I'm afraid I did oh, once. Right. I'm, I'm, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all. Come back. Oh, happy, happier days, <laughs> happier days in the Rose Garden. Well, good. I feel. I feel like hopefully we've done sort of equal opportunities on that. We've been rude about everyone. Uh, Jeff uh, Norcott and Tiff Stevenson. Lovely, lovely to hear from you both. Thank you Thank very you much. Thank you for having us. See you soon. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. So we're talking about humorlessness in politics. The people who think that an attack on their uh, criticism of the political party they support is like a personal insult. Uh, the survey shows, it's what, 33% of Reform UK supporters uh, take it as an insult. 32% of Greens, 31% of SNP supporters. Lib Dems, apparently, uh, don't mind at all. Only 15% of those uh, take offence. And I was thinking, well, what better way to measure the barometer of offence and complaint than the post bag of Private Eye, uh, the editor, uh, Ian Hislop, joins me. Hi, Ian. Hello there, Matt. Hi. So, the number of times you put different party leaders, particularly on my guesses, on the front cover with with a joke at their expense, and then you get letters saying that they're going to cancel their subscriptions as a result... Give yes. me a sense. Does it fit Reform, Brexit Party and SNPers? Are they the, the least uh, likely to laugh at themselves? Yeah, that sounds absolutely right. Um, <laughs> it used to be UKIP. Um, they were always very, very, very cross. Um, and I presume it's Reform now. Though yeah. odd, most of the letters I get um, are from people who describe themselves as GB News viewers. And I'm afraid we've had a bit of a laugh at GB News and they don't think that's funny at all. Um, and we've had a lot of a lot of cancellors. Wonderful letter last week saying um, your constant criticism of Brexit, Tories, traditional marriage and GB News has led me to cancel my subscription. That's it. Now, here's a question. When someone says has led me to cancel their subscription, do they cancel? They tend to wait one issue to see if their letter's in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then they cancel. Sometimes they um, they just want to let off steam. On the whole, um, people do get very, very cross. The SNP furious. Any criticism of uh, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, particularly in the private eye poems of William McGonagall, the world's worst poet, but they've gone a bit quiet recently. So it's I funny have- that. It's funny, though, isn't it? Because I I had a couple of go when she stood down over a column in the Times, being rude about the SNP, and got an absolute torrent of anger on social media. And then the other day, I described them as a deep fried banana republic. And again, I was then accused. I think of xenophobic. Apparently, yes, um, they don't no, like no. it. They don't like it up them. In fact, to use the phrase, no, and they're very used to feeling superior to British politics. You know, which is understandable. But this time round. Um, I think our photo bubble of Nicola Sturgeon saying that she had no idea she was married to Peter Murrell may 
<laughs> may get them going again. We'll see. When you're making those, those calculations, because uh, sometimes I, th- you know, when we're talking about I don't know if it's Scottish politics or Northern Irish politics, if you're in England and Wales, maybe you're not that into it. How does that is that a calculation when you're thinking about putting Nicola Sturgeon on, or is she just a sort of celebrity character in the private eye world? No, I mean I'm I'm always aware of it because um, one of the other criticisms is you never cover Scottish politics, and then if we do, they say, "Why do you cover Scottish <laughs> politics so pathetically?" But I have to say, on your poll, I mean, the left do get very, very thin-skinned, and I think the further left, the further thin-skinned. And we we ran a, a book review of Bernie Sanders's biography of him, and I, I've never seen it. I mean, someone wrote in saying, um, "Are Daily Express journalists now writing private eye?" This is the most pathetic hatchet job I've ever read. The writer is about 15. Using the word trot as an insult is 20 years past its sell-by date. (laughs) Surely 50 Uh, at the very least. Yeah, come on. Uh, (laughs) So, no, they they also do get very, very cross. I mean, the Lib Dems, I can't remember a letter. I think they're just pleased if you put anything in about them. (laughs) How quiet would the news have to be for you to put Ed Davey on the front? Um, I think the magazine would have had to have closed down. <laughs> it's interesting because I think what prompted when I wrote about the SNP and then I did another column on the, on Co- Jeremy Corbyn and I actually ended up doing a poll on Twitter asking who was the most thin skinned because the, the sort of the Cor- where the Corbyn yes. Easters meet the SNP. There is that sort of very tribal thing. Yeah. Do you get the same with Boris Johnson? If you because like, people who like Boris Johnson really like Boris Johnson, do they get very cross? Yes, they were phenomenally cross. And the most complaints we had was when we, you may remember, I put a, a picture of an overflowing toilet on. I do remember. Cover and said, this is Boris Johnson's legacy. Yes. And uh, no, they were in, incensed at this treatment. But again, people slightly bought into this cult. And then the same was true of Corbyn and the same true of Sturgeon and Farage. Uh, the other parties, people think, well, we may not like our leader much and we don't mind a joke, but we'll probably vote that way anyway. There, There is a more normal attitude, a more healthy attitude, I feel, um, to politicians outside of these groups. So your poll, I thought, was absolutely crack on. You know, no one would say there's a cult of personality around either Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer. Yes, I mean, they're, they're not using the word personality a lot, are they? <laughs> but that's good. I think we're in a, a new era I think that's partly why the attack ads went down so badly. It was just a suggestion that politics was not going to be boring and people want boring now. Do you have to work harder in the when you're beavering away in the notoriously neat and tidy private eye offices? <laughs> Do you have to work harder when you've got Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer rather than Jeremy Corbyn versus Boris Johnson? No, I think it's easier when um, the characters are a bit duller because almost any exaggeration is funny. So, no, you have to work harder when the characters are extreme and also find out what actually offends people. I mean, if you say, you know, uh, to Trump supporters that Donald Trump is orange and his attitude to women is a bit archaic, they go, good, I'll vote for him. Um, <laughs> that that doesn't hurt. You have to say he's a useless business failure. And the reason he didn't pay any taxes is because he didn't make any money. Now that they hate. Yeah, uh, they really hate that. So it, it's an equivalent here. And have I got news for you? Do you get into trouble when you... I noticed last... Uh, was it last week when you were talking about the SNP thing? I uh, saw immediately on Twitter people accusing you of being biased and contempt of court and and all sorts of things. Do you get... Is it, is it more difficult on the... T- do you have to be sort of equal opportunities in your... Unbiased in your mockery? I hope I'm fairly um, unbalanced <laughs> at the best of times. Uh, 
No, the pleasure of the BBC is I'm not paying <laughs> the eye. Well, you know, that, that's serious. Oh, is, yeah, so yeah, that's true. If you if you bring, if you're in t- contempt of court, the page of the private eye, you're in trouble. But if it's the B, you know, if you do it on, I've got news for you. Yes, no, I presume I presume that the um, the potential uh, legal actions go elsewhere. <laughs> I do hope so. No, and just in terms, actually, if I've got news for you, sometimes you have politicians on. I mean, you had me on last season. It was very nice. Yes. Uh, it was it was nice. Who, if you could have any politician on, if I've got news for you right now, who would you have on? Um, I think Blair would be good. <laughs> As a host or as a teammate? Uh, mate, yes, yes. <laughs> I, think, I think a teammate is what, is what you're looking at. <laughs> He'd be very good. He would be very, very good. I hope that um, all, of the, all of the subscriptions aren't cancelled by next week. Um, presumably, actually, it's doing phenomenally well, isn't it, Private Eye, actually, despite all of the many cancelled subscriptions? Yeah, well, up to, up to last week, um, I think we were doing fine, but you never know. I mean, there were an awful <laughs> lot of letters. Uh, there's one <laughs> who's annoyed generally. It says that... Um, David Armitage considers you a leftist organisation. And uh, Laurie Harper says, you're not keen on the left. Come on, make your mind up. <laughs> That's, there's definitely something in there about if you're, if you're upsetting everyone, you're doing something right. Ian- I'll I tell you what the most complaints we got last issue was, though. I and mean, this is what our readers really care about. Go you on. think it's politics. It was the derivation of the phrase, let's scarper. Was it rhyming slang uh, with scarper flow, go? Or did it come from an old Italian word? And if you think political correspondents are angry, you should see the the pedants. <laughs> that was Ian Hislop, uh, editor of Private Eye. Before that, we heard from the comedians Jeff Norcott and Tiff Stevenson. And you can catch Tiff. She's currently on tour with her show Sexy Brain. Tickets is tiffstevenson.co.uk. And Jeff is on tour with his show Basic Bloke. Uh, go to livenation.co.uk and show for short search for Jeff with a G. Norcott. Uh, his book, The British Bloke Decoded, is out now as well. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Redbox Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history.